This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone. And thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We are brought to you by Lawyers Pacific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Uh, Today, we are going to be discussing the topic of when complex medical issues are central to resolution in a couple of contexts. We're going to be discussing in the context of medical malpractice. We're going to be discussing it in the context of of, elder abuse cases, and we will be guided in that by our guest today, Randy Even. Uh, Randy is uh, someone I have known for many, many years, and actually, I met Randy. I'm not sure you remember this, Randy, but I actually mediated a case. Actually, Randy mediated the case, and I was an attorney for one of the parties. I can't remember the case precisely, but I do remember this. I was impressed by how Randy did as a mediator and we got the case resolved. Randy brings over 40 years of legal experience uh, to the his mediation practice. And his, his practice uh, was extremely, uh, extremely successful. Uh, he specialized in the areas of medical malpractice, elder abuse, and complex medical issues, and turned his focus to alternative dispute resolution uh, and has been doing that for about 30 years, I think, now. Uh, Randy is also uh, a distinguished trial attorney who is has achieved the rank of diplomat in the American Board of Trial uh, Advocates, uh, ABODA. And that's, it's a very, very uh, difficult uh, achievement to, uh, to attain. Randy also has, has um, tried over 100 jury trials to verdict and brings that experience to his mediation practice. Uh, he's acted as a, a mediator and arbitrator and settlement officer in over a thousand cases in the last 30 years and has achieved an impressive rate of resolution through his persistence and practice of following up on a case after a mediation session is over. He's highly respected by his peers, and uh, that is on both sides of the, of the bar, uh, both on plaintiffs and defense and is exceptionally well-prepared for all of his mediations. 
Uh, I can I can attest to one a number of years ago, and he was definitely well prepared. He's also been a uh, a fellow inducted as a fellow in the American American College of Trial Lawyers, and has been named a super lawyer several times by the Los Angeles Magazine. Randy, welcome to Masters of Dispute Resolution. Thank you, Len. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, we have been talking, uh, you and I, uh, over the years and, and, and more recently. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that people might not know about you is that you, you actually have a background, at least a family background in medicine. Is that? Uh, I, I do. My dad was a doctor. I never thought about uh, anything else for a long time about being a doctor. But then after my freshman year at UCLA, then I went up to Berkeley my sophomore year, lived in a fraternity house and had the time of my life while taking pre-med or organic chemistry, inorganic, all that kind of stuff. I thought, you know, maybe that's not for me. So I came back, but I, so I decided to go into law, but I really wanted to stay close to medicine. And that, that's what I really enjoyed. Well, it, it really shows through in, in the work that you do as a mediator, I know. Uh, there, and, and let's get right into this. Uh, there is a tendency sometimes for people who have tried personal injury cases uh, auto accidents and the like, uh, to say, oh, yeah, I, I deal with medical issues and, and, uh, uh, and so malpractice cases should be a, a piece of cake. Um, where are they wrong? <laughs> well, they're wrong on several counts. First of all, medical malpractice, elder abuse, those areas tend to be really heavily uh, expert-oriented. And unless you've got yourself a good expert who can weed out the case in the first place so that you can make a decision to take the case, um, you're going to be in a lot of trouble because it's very costly to pursue the cases. Uh, as I understand it, from what I'm told by friends on the plaintiff's bar, um, they could spend anywhere $100,000, potentially even more, just getting the case ready for trial. And that's probably one real reason why mediation or trying to get the case settled is a good idea if you can get it done before you really put all the money into the case getting it ready for trial. Um, medicine is complicated. Uh, in medical malpractice cases, you can talk about surgical issues, a failure of a doctor to do something maybe he should have done, or at least the allegation. And uh, because of that, you really have to rely on your experts. And that's also what goes into being really ready for a mediation. Well, that really dictates, uh, as you point out, <clears throat> that mediation can really help you save money. I mean, if you do the math, uh, it, it's pretty easy to do the math. Uh, if you have uh, six, seven, eight medical malpractice cases and you are uh, plaintiff's uh, counsel, putting out uh, on average uh, $75,000, $100,000 per case, uh, you've got a lot of money tied up in, in your practice and getting them resolved as early as possible, uh, I would think is the, is the way to go. And, and that's true. And, and yet when you go to a mediation, 
never go without having spoken with at least one expert on your case. You know the other side's gonna have them quickly when they get the case. So you wanna really be prepared with your own experts and, and how you know he or she will be able to testify in court. In terms of preparing for a mediation uh, in a medical malpractice case or in an elder abuse case in, in involving such issues, uh, having the right expert, uh, uh, not only available, but, uh, 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 but actually participating in the mediation, uh, is, that, is that something that happens on a, a very common basis? Uh, having the expert participate in the mediation, not generally. In fact, it pretty rarely happens. But uh, I have had situations where the mediator, is, the uh, expert has been available to talk to us over the phone during mediation if there are specific questions. And I often will have specific questions. Right. And, and as far as uh, the, the getting the, the case evaluated before coming to mediation, uh, as you say, requires speaking to the experts. Uh, it also requires, does it not, getting into the medical records yourself as, the, as a, an advocate, both whether you're on the defense side or on the, on the plaintiff side, uh, getting into those medical records and truly understanding what those issues might be in conjunction with your expert. Uh, that's critical. Uh, make sure you have all of the medical records, not just some. Uh, we can discuss this some more, but uh, uh, that's critical. We will get back to more of what is, what is critical in a medical malpractice case. I'm chatting with Randy Even uh, about things medical in medical malpractice cases. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, and I'm Len Levy. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Randy Even. Uh, Randy, uh, you were talking about medical records, and uh, I think I cut off your answer. Uh, you had more to say on that subject. Uh, I do. Uh, the medical records are a critical part of the case. Actually, the whole case may be based on the medical records, along with witnesses' recollections. The, uh, the medical records, when you get them, make sure that you have every single one. Uh, don't let anybody off the hook as far as giving you only partial records. But secondly, make sure you understand them and read every single page because every page has a clue on it. And if you, uh, 
if you don't understand a word, which often happens in these kinds of cases, have your, your medical dictionary next to you or some other way to look it up so you do understand what you're reading. And that way, when you do get your expert, uh, you can have an intelligent discussion, you'll know what questions to ask, you'll find out what's critical, and that's essential for a mediation. Well, one of the things that, uh, in terms of, of medical experts, uh, those medical experts are going to guide you in a very critical aspect. And, and, and I think this applies to both medical malpractice cases and elder abuse cases, and that is the issue of standard of care. Uh, is that correct? Uh, yes, it is. That's the whole case. Uh, what the duty is and what if there's a breach of that duty. And the breach of the duty uh, is where standard of care comes into play. If what the doctor did or didn't do um, w was a below the standards in the community of doctors of the same uh, specialty and, and the same circumstances, that's what's critical. That's what makes or breaks the case. Uh, that, that's part of it. And then there's causation as well. Now, some of those, uh, some of those cases, and, and I've arbitrated uh, a number of them, some of them involve numerous medical practitioners who are accused of doing something below the standard of care. Uh, how important is it to analyze what specialties uh, are, are needed as experts in these cases? Well, sometimes uh, if the attorney has a friend who's a doctor, confronted by that friend, maybe there's a charge, maybe not, and find out, uh, ask the question, what kind of an expert should I get on this case? Uh, sometimes it's obvious, an ophthalmology case or a certain other kind of case or a surgical case, uh, you know. But for instance, if you have a, uh, a perforation of, a, of an organ uh, that shouldn't have happened during a surgery, um, you're gonna wanna have a surgeon or a surgeon in that specialty. It's the bladder, for instance, a urological surgeon. Uh, but sometimes you need to talk to an expert to find out what that expert thinks in terms of, is he able to, to testify or is it better suited for a different specialty. It's key because I've had cases where I've been the arbitrator and uh, the attorneys were excellent attorneys. Uh, the case facts were very, very close, very close. Uh, experts on both sides, plaintiff arbitrator, defense arbitrator. And the key factor was that the key piece of evidence in the case, which was an MRI, a certain kind, um, uh, the plaintiff had the right expert, the defense did not. And that made the difference in the case. That was the sole factor. And, and that's, that's in an arbitration. And you really have to, when, you're, when you are mediating those cases as, a, as an advocate, you have to keep in mind what your, what your burden of proof is going to be. But let's kind of focus back onto what's happening at the mediation. Because the mediation, you're not trying to convince the arbitrator, you're trying to convince the other side that your position is, is the one that is more likely to uh, 
to prevail if if it goes to arbitration. So how does the party most effectively use you as the mediator to make that happen? There are several factors in that question. One of which is the fact that a lot of times the plaintiff's attorneys, if they're not experienced in medical malpractice or maybe having troubles with their client who has a very strong view as to what should be done, is to talk to the party. The plaintiffs themselves are usually the only people in the room or the rooms who don't have any experience in a mediation or to know what goes on. They just heard that their cousin fell on a banana and got a half a million dollars. So they figured their case has got to be worth a lot more. So talking to the plaintiff, which is part of what I like to do, which I have found really helpful over the years, is to uh, talk to them personally, find out how this is affecting them day to day, and try to develop a rapport with the plaintiff because ultimately they're the decision maker, uh, yes or no about a a figure. So uh, we do that. A lot of times I've had uh, either the plaintiff's attorney or the defense attorney call me up and the plaintiff's lawyer may say, I'm having a problem with my client. Can you help me work with that? And let's maybe have some of our discussions in a separate breakout room or, or in a separate room. Uh, with the defense attorneys, I may get a call in advance, and it's happened a number of times, saying I'm having problems getting consent to settle, which is, you know, in a malpractice case, there has to be a consent, ultimately written consent by the doctor to settle a case, because there are a lot of uh, consequences to settling for certain amounts. Anyhow, uh, so I will try to focus on talking with the individual. But the bottom line is, having tried a lot of cases, and, and a lot of mediators do have done this, uh, you get a sense as to what's important for, the, for a jury to hear. What has a ring of credibility to it that's, that's almost bulletproof, uh, and you can't argue against it. So I try to look for those things in the mediation uh, when I'm talking to the attorneys or talking to the parties. Uh, and that helps me. Uh, if it's something that really they've convinced me of a certain point, that makes me a better advocate or devil's advocate when I go in the other room and talk to them about, well, what did you think about the plaintiff's credibility um, is concerned? Because that's real important. And we talk about that and I'll, I can tell them uh, what I think I've, what I've seen juries do in certain situations. So all of that helps. So your your credibility with the uh, with both sides is very very important uh, when when you're you're as you say being the devil's advocate for uh, each party. What I'm hearing you say is that you utilize that background uh, to enhance your credibility, and that is something that uh, that helps get the matters uh, resolved. I've found that, that that helps. Having been there and having done those different things, having talked to various juries after trials, because I talk about that with the parties too. You know, it's talking to jurors after a result. Uh, you learn an awful lot about a case, what was credible, what I think was important, maybe the jury didn't, or something I didn't think was important, the jury hung their hats on. So you, you never really know, but 
having done that for a long time, it helps in discussing how something's going to come across in front of a jury. And I, I, you learn in this business what's admissible, what's going to be admissible in court and what isn't. And then you can talk to the parties about that and what the significance of certain evidence is. I'm chatting with Randy Even about things medical and medical malpractice mediation. And this is a Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Lynn Levy. When we get back, we will be talking about some other differences between the run of the mill, if there is such a thing, personal injury case, and a medical malpractice or elder abuse matter. We'll be back. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, NADN.org is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.NADN.org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Lynn Levy, and my guest is Randy Even. Randy, uh, one of the things that uh, you were talking about uh, earlier was the idea of the decision maker and uh, the decision maker on the on the defense side uh, is not always the doctor or the medical practitioner. Uh, I'm thinking in terms of this thirty thousand dollar number. Uh, can you can you elaborate on that? I, I sure can. Uh $30,000 is the figure proscribed in the business and professions code that uh, says that in order for a medical malpractice case to be settled, and that's against any healthcare provider uh, licensed under the codes, um, is uh, they have the right to refuse settlement. Uh, the figure of $30,000 is, is sort of the cutoff line. When a medical malpractice case against, say, a doctor, using that as an example, comes up, if the doctor settles for $30,000 or less, uh, it does not have to be reported to the Medical Board of California. Uh, it does have to be reported to the National Practitioner Data Bank, but that's not usually what's critical in this case. The Medical Board is the, is the key issue. Any, even a penny over $30,000 does have to re, be reported to the medical board. So the doctor has the absolute right to say, I refuse to settle this case. And um, if, if he does, then he goes to trial and he pays whatever consequences there might be, or he wins. 
but that often is a uh, a line of a line in the sand for a lot of a lot of parties. A lot of cases settled for thirty thousand or less. So, uh, an insurance carrier can settle a case whether a doctor objects or not if it's thirty thousand or less. No, uh, it's it's a doctor still has a right to refuse payment of even a penny on a case. Uh, and and sometimes that happens. I've tried a number of cases where the doctor refused to settle and 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 maybe should have should have uh, consented to settle. Right. Now, is there a difference between the approach that that professional uh, liability medical malpractice uh, carriers have, and let's say uh, general liability carriers in an auto case? Uh, definitely. Uh, most of the medical carriers, medical malpractice insurance carriers, have boards that review cases as opposed to an individual claims man on an auto accident or a slip and fall or some other kind of liability. There may be the claims person handling it. If he needs more authority, there's somebody above him and then somebody above that person, and they can go up that chain. For medical malpractice cases, a number of the, ma the major insurance carriers or companies or mutual protection trusts will have their own, uh, like a board meeting, a committee meeting to talk about a case. And they may bring in the doctor to, to inform them what's happening, uh, may bring in an expert. There usually will be some doctor on that board who's a specialist in the same area. So a lot goes into uh, to a decision about whether or not to settle and to, to settle how much. The, um, that's why it's really, I believe, very, very helpful for plaintiff's attorneys to prepare a good detailed brief based on an expert's opinions. And if they can do that, what they're in, in sending it to the other side, not doing it confidentially, if there's some evidentiary issue that's important for them, they, want, they don't want the other side to know about yet, do a side brief, a confidential brief separately that talks about those issues. But mainly what you're doing by preparing a comprehensive brief and putting in your demand is that you're essentially greasing the skids. When it, it gets to the insurance carrier, they can then uh, have their committee meeting, discuss all the things, here's the strengths, the weaknesses, here's where the plaintiff thinks, plaintiff thinks he can go or she can go. So the, the bottom line is, you're doing yourself a favor as a plaintiff's lawyer if you do a comprehensive, well-thought-out brief using expert opinions to convince the other side to spring for money. And, and what you're trying to do is you are trying to give the defense an opportunity to actually evaluate the case from your perspective, if you're the plaintiff's uh, counsel, from your perspective, uh, prior to the mediation, which may be the difference between being able to get it settled or not settled. Well, that's, that's very true. And so when this comes up, I, I, and I'm hearing about a mediation that's going to be happening, uh, I have spoken with plaintiff's attorneys suggesting that they do that kind of a comprehensive brief, but also giving the defense lawyer a call. And I've always felt the rapport among the lawyers, because a lot of times there's more than one defendant, uh, is really helpful towards getting a case resolved. 
uh, if you got somebody who's being a jerk, uh, you may that may be a line in the sand and make it tougher to settle. But essentially, if you can develop that rapport with the other side, I'm talking now both sides really, but for plaintiff's lawyers, it wouldn't hurt to call up in advance to let you, let them know what the demand is in advance. So they, the, the committee at the carrier doesn't find out at the time of the mediation what the demand is and what money they should have put on it. That doesn't work. So call, my suggestion has been to call the defense attorneys and, and say, what more can I get for you to help get this thing done? Right. And, and that that happens a lot. And when it does, it really it does grease the skids. Let me uh, follow up on something that you said about getting the demand in that that requires an evaluation of the case and really determining a target settlement range. Uh, what should attorneys be doing in that regard? Well, in medical malpractice, especially. Uh, because often the, the final decision is made by more than one person, by a committee. Um, I, I think it's essential to let the other side know, first of all, what you're asking for. Secondly, the basis for it. And as you know, in medical malpractice cases, pain and suffering uh, is limited to $250,000 per case. Uh, elder abuse, if it truly qualifies as elder abuse, does not have that same limitation, uh, except if there's a wrong, a claimed wrongful death as well. But the demand should be reasoned and thought out. Uh, and don't, if you mention a demand, if the attorney has mentioned a demand to the, to the other side, uh, don't it makes it tough in negotiations to then try to settle the case uh, when you come in with a demand higher than that because that that throws off all the works and all the preparation with a committee and everything else so the the target range uh, is is something that's important now many attorneys will approach this from a, a negotiation standpoint uh, and and uh, this is, basic negotiation theory, you need to have a target where you're trying to, where you, what you're trying to reach. You're also needing to have a reservation point. What is it that you are less likely to, you, that, you're, that you're likely to uh, have a cutoff on and, and take this thing, go to, uh, to, to arbitration or trial. Um, but for purposes of mediation, uh, Initially, getting that target settlement range is is important because it will also add to your credibility uh, in when you when you make that demand. Isn't that correct? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, there's there's quite a bit that goes into that, and in medical malpractice, which we will be discussing some more, uh, there are a number of things to look at. Okay, well, when we return, we will be talking about some of those other things. Uh, this is Len Levy on Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm chatting with Randy Even, and uh, we will be back in a moment. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there's so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? 
You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you won't have to. They're professional liability experts. Shop California's leading professional liability carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the right price. Lawyer-specific founders Alan Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California and find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to lawyerspecific.com and click request a quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy and my guest is Randy Even. Uh, Randy, we were talking about uh, targets and reservation points and things of that nature. And I cut off your, your answer uh, before uh, you completed. There are a lot of factors. And, and what really is important is to, for the mediator to take a look uh, at, a, at what the plaintiff's demand is and the basis for the demand. Because often what you see is uh, a total demand of say $2 million. But on the other hand, how do they get to that point? Because it could be you can't even get there. Uh, if the medical bills, you have the $250,000 for pain and suffering, uh, that's 250. And then you have whatever the medical bills are that have not been covered by insurance. Liens are a totally separate matter. I won't get into all the details at this point. But uh, then you have, and there's a specific amount for special damages, past and future. And then you have the uh, loss of earnings or earning capacity if there is any. And with those different factors, it could be that by totaling them up, you can't even get to $2 million. And I hear that from the defense a lot. No matter what they do, you know, I hear the, the argument, well, this is what they're claiming, but you can't get to that demand. If you give them everything they ask for, you can only get to say 1250000 or something on that order. And, and that's why you have to talk reason and logic as to why a figure maybe is too high. Right. And, and that can affect your credibility uh, and it, as a practitioner, uh, I'm, I'm not talking about a mediator's credibility, but it affects the it affects the credibility of the uh, plaintiff's counsel if you're demanding something that you couldn't even get at trial. So um, it's important to have evaluated what your settlement range uh, might be, and uh, and then then the other part of it is just how difficult is it going to be to get to that number. It might dictate lowering the demand. I, I remember a medical malpractice case that I that I, I mediated uh, where the uh, the attitude from the defense was uh, essentially, um, well, it, this could be a lot of money. However, um, we think there's less than a less than a fifty percent chance that they're they're going to prevail on liability, and uh, therefore we're not offering anything. Um, is that, is that common these days? <laughs> well, you also have to keep in mind they're there at a mediation. They could have saved the cost of the mediation and just told the other side, we're not paying anything. If that's what they really meant. Well, in that, in, let me interrupt you in that instance, by the way, they came back two more times and, and essentially were trying to get me to convince the, the, um, uh, the plaintiff's attorney that now just 
we'll give you what what you put into the case, but that's about it uh, in terms of your costs. So and it was a, a if I recall a subarachnoid breed bl- bleed with a, a quadriplegia. So um, <laughs> that was that was not that was not going to fly. So no. Uh, no. Well, you know it's interesting because a lot of it is tactical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had plaintiffs' attorneys call me and tell me before a mediation that Randy, we don't uh, we don't expect to settle this the first time around. This is going to take more than one session. Mm-hmm. And with understanding that, it helps me to kind of guide it and it's certain to get it positioned by the end of the mediation, so another session would be good. I've had one also very well known plaintiffs' attorney. I won't mention any names. Mm-hmm. Um, who his, his tactic was to show up at the mediation with an associate uh, and wait, have a discussion, wait for the first offer, throw up his hands and say, I'm insulted. And, and I said, I'm out of here. And then they disappear, but they wisely leave the associate there. <laughs> so right. the associate carries on with the, uh, the primary attorney on the phone and they can have a discussion May or may not settle that time. We may have to go to a second session or I'll, I'll follow up and do things over the telephone. But that's sometimes that's a plan by, by one side or the other. Uh, the games people play in mediation. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, uh, make, makes life interesting sometimes. I, I, I wanted, uh, before we, uh, we finish this podcast, I'd like to get into something that you uh, briefly touched on, and that is, in elder abuse cases, uh, there may be an overlap uh, in terms of whether MICRA would apply or would not apply. Can you can you please comment on that? Yes, if there's a wrongful death action, uh, the code section limits the amount of uh, pain and suffering that can be recovered uh, to 250, just as in a medical malpractice case. But in a case where the person who allegedly was abused uh, survives and brings the action, the damages are not limited, uh, pain and suffering. So uh, every case that plaintiff's attorneys can do it in, they will try to take a case out of medical negligence and put it into elder abuse. And they find very serious. Sometimes they're successful and sometimes they're not. It's clearly an attempt to circumvent the limitations on damages and malpractice. Now, the, if, if they're going to be pursuing a, a, an elder abuse case, they have to be aware of the statutes that uh, apply. Can you please provide some insight on what attorneys have done and have not done uh, properly in, uh, in, in that regard? Well, it's important to, it's critical to, to actually understand the case law, the California case law. Uh, there are a couple of landmark cases, one of which is the covenant care case, which, as you know, was, uh, was my case. Mm-hmm. And we ultimately wound up trying the case. But uh, understand what the law is, because the court, the Supreme Court lays out uh, areas where they feel are medical negligence, in areas where they feel are something different and what it takes to get uh, to get to elder abuse. Because to, in order to recover enhanced damages in elder abuse, um, 
and uh, a lot of limitations that you have in malpractice don't apply in elder abuse. Um, you have to understand the law. So my my advice to anybody in that field, uh, read up on the Elder Abuse and Dependent Adult Civil Protection Act. Most of it's in the Welfare and Institutions Code 15610 and following. Uh, the enhanced damages are in 15657. Um, and, and you get an understanding as, oh, I can't meet that standard or Yep, I can meet it. But reading the Supreme Court cases, the two, if you're going to get into elder abuse, those are critical. Now, we have a very short time, and I'd like to just touch on this. Uh, whether it's an elder abuse case or a medical malpractice case, what are your suggestions in terms of timing for mediation and, and why that timing is uh, is important. I think it's equally important uh, in uh, in elder abuse and medical negligence because, first of all, as I mentioned before, those kind of cases are very expensive to prosecute. Uh, do enough discovery in the case so that you understand your case, your expert has something solid to look at, and so that you can prepare a, a good brief. Timing is critical because it's so expensive. And if you can cut off some of that expense, like if you're, if trial, a trial date is set and between now and then you're going to have to uh, um, spend a lot of money on experts and preparation. If you can cut that off with mediation, all the better. Randy, we are unfortunately out of time because I could talk to you for hours. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I really thank you for this conversation and Hope we can have you back as a guest uh, in the future. And um, I want to, as as we wrap up, thank you, uh, John Van Camp, who is filling in for Daryl Wayne, who's a producer on this show. And uh, I'm Len Levy. This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io, powered by Infigen Labs, Inc. And uh, Randy, could you please provide us with uh, an idea of how best to reach you and schedule a mediation? Uh, best way is contact ADR services, the downtown office. Uh, my uh, case manager is Elvira Camacho, uh, and it can be set up that way. Or my email address is rme. Uh, well, let me, that's my private one. I, I could give you both of them. I use them both. Uh, reven at adrservices.com. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. And uh, I am your host, Len Levy, on Masters of Dispute Resolution. And until next time, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com, Telephone him at 818-903-5562 or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.